Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rhodes? Well, we're going, we don't need Rhodes. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Okay, campers, rise and shine. And don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there. It's cold out there every day. What is this, Miami Beach? No, it's after the ending. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And that, of course, you may recognize as our version, at least, of some uh, famous scene or multiple scenes, I guess you could say, from Groundhog Day, which is one of the movies we're going to be talking about today. That's correct. And we will also be going after the ending of Enter the Dragon, the 1973 Bruce Lee film with lots of kicking and punching and very cool stuff. Yeah. And what else are we going to be talking about today, Phil? we got a few other treats in store for listeners. Yes, our Mighty Morphin Mini feature will be Movie Mashups, which is probably exactly what you think it is. <laughs> yep. And uh, we'll be looking at our favorite top 10 films of the year 1977. So there will be some uh, predictable ones, but also some, some other ones which are also good, which you might have forgotten. I, I, I think I can guarantee that there will be a few surprises on my list, so... Ooh. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe not, but I don't know. <laughs> I feel like there there could be a couple surprises at least, so... Well, you know, I've, I've picked a film where there's like a Jedi in it. That's That could be a surprise. Yeah, I don't think people will see that one coming at all. Because, I mean, yeah. A, I don't think that film is very popular. And B, no. you and I both are not known for being fans of that franchise or anything. So Yes, yes. All right, well, uh, the, that particular movie we're going to be discussing later isn't the only movie that takes place a long, long time ago. How about our first film for the night, Enter the Dragon, which takes place a, a fairly long time ago? Yeah, actually, the year I was born, 1973. There you go. So, uh, Phil, why don't you take us through the events of Enter the Dragon? Okay, uh, Enter the Dragon, directed by Robert Klaus and starring Bruce Lee, Jim Kelly, John Saxon, Shi Kien, who played Mr. Han. I think that's how you pronounce it. Okay, Bruce Lee plays a character called Lee. It's very Mr. creative, very imaginative, yeah. I think. Yes. I don't is. know how they came up with that, to be honest with you. I know, yeah. Okay. Uh, Lee is recruited by a British intelligence agency to go undercover at a martial arts tournament that's held every three years. It's located on an island and hosted by Mr. Han. They believe Mr. Han is involved in drugs and slavery. Lee also finds out that Han's men were responsible for the death of Lee's sister. With the help of a couple of Vietnam veterans, Roper, played by John Saxon, and Williams, played by Jim Kelly, they... Go through the motions, have a bit of a fight. People die, people live, people get punched in the face a lot. And they bring down Mr. Han's criminal empire. And Lee ends up killing Mr. Han in a, a room full of mirrors. And that's Enter the Dragon. There you go. Nice and simple. I don't think there's really too much more you need to know about it other than Bruce Lee kicks a whole lot of butt and yeah. uh, a lot of mirrors. It's, it's an awesome film. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's really great. It's a lot of fun, for sure. Okay, so that's, uh, that's what happened in the film, but what happens the day after? Well, what happens in my day after is, after Lee successfully takes down Han's operation, the British government recruits him into their secret service. He's hesitant at first, because even though he's a warrior, he only fights when there's no other option. Still, he wants to make the world a better place, so he agrees. They don't feel like he's a fit for their prestigious double O program, as the agents in that division are a little more nondescript and more skilled in general undercover functions. 
Lee agrees to pilot a new program in which he'll be able to use his mix of martial arts and philosophical enlightenment to try and prevent terrorist threats to the world. Since he can't be in the double O service, they christen the new initiative the Double Dragon Program. Ha <laughs> ha, nice. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> and that's my day after. I think there's going to be some similarities with this. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I kind of had a feeling there might be. But, uh, but I like uh, yeah, double, double O and Double Dragon. Thanks. Excellent, yeah. Okay, the, my day after is uh, Lee's debriefed by British intelligence and plans are put into action to mop up as much of Han's operations as possible. Lee knows that someone else will soon wind up to take Han's place, but he has avenged the death of his sister, and he heads off to the Shaolin Temple to find inner peace once more. That's my day after. All right, very nice. Okay, what have you got for your immediate aftermath? Okay, well, if you like the Double Dragon initiative, I think you'll like this part too. Oh, going up. Lee begins to recruit his team with members codenamed Drunken Fist, Iron Monkey, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Kung Fu Panda, and the Karate Kid. Lee is sent to take on the mysterious Tekken organization, which is ruled by the ruthless Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> they infiltrate Tekken's underwater lair and go up against their elite team of warriors, the Street Fighters. <laughs> Pitched in battle, Lee and the Double Dragons find themselves locked in mortal combat. The street fighters incapacitate most of Lee's team, but he manages to take them all out. Finally, he finds himself alone against the Super Smash Brothers. Two against one, Lee is outmatched at first, but he focuses his chi and funnels his energy into his martial arts skills and ultimately defeats the two villains. He's beaten and bloodied, but he manages to collect his team and escape before they destroy the underwater lair in a massive explosion. Wow. Thank you. That's epic. That's just the immediate aftermath. That's just the immediate aftermath. Wow. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the long term yet. Wow, very good. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that, but I think there'd be an awful problem with all the copyright. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I came up with all of those names all by myself. <laughs> no, it's good, though. Good use of names. I like it. Thanks. Yeah. Little little mashup of kung fu films and video games. You know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah. Felt like it, it kind of felt right. Yeah, yeah. All right, so how about your immediate aftermath, Phil? Okay, so Lee's been at the Shaolin Temple. He's been meditating and thinking about what's happened, but he's once again approached by British intelligence. However, this time, it's different. It's a single agent who asks for his help. He's investigating the deaths of other British agents. It ties in with the drug trade that Mr. Ham was involved with, and they want Lee's help to investigate a Harlem drug lord known as Mr. Big. At first, Lee is hesitant, but decides to help Mr. Bond on his mission. And that's my immediate aftermath. All right, very nice. I like it. I like the mashups I'm seeing here, Phil. Thank you. Uh, well, what about, uh, do you want to bring us home with your long term? Sure thing. So over the years, Lee leads the Double Dragon team on a number of successful missions, saving the world numerous times. He even occasionally teams up with the Double O program and helps some of the other Secret Service members protect Britain's interests. After a decade or so of giving every waking hour to the Double Dragon team, he finally starts to develop a work-life balance and begins to have a personal life. He meets a nice woman named Linda and has two children, Brandon and Shannon. Ah. As he enjoys family life, he's not as involved in the day-to-day -day battle operations, but he still spearheads the Double Dragon team and tries to inject his philosophical leanings into the world when he can, always striving for peace. One day, he wakes up with a headache. Fearing it might be some kind of terminal brain embolism, Lee and his family rush to the hospital. But, turns out, it's just a headache, and Lee and his family and all of his kids live happily ever after with no curses whatsoever, and they all reach a ripe old age. The end. Ah. Uh. Oh, nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's what it should have been. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've talked about on the show before, of course, the tragedy of, of Bruce and Brandon Lee. So I thought, well, if I'm going to rewrite history, I may as well have them all live to a ripe old age and uh, and make the world a, a slightly happier place. That's right. Yeah, we, we talked about that back in episode 11. That's right, our Crow yeah. episode, which was yeah. uh, a lot of fun. Mm. All right, That's so good. thank you. How about your long term then? Let's, uh, let's wrap up the uh, end of the dragon here and hear what you got. Okay. 
So Lee and Bond head over to Harlem. They meet up with the sister of Williams. Her name's Coffee, played by Pam Greer. <laughs> Greer. Pam Greer. Uh, she's also hunting Mr. Big as he hooked her younger sister on drugs. The three of them together make an unstoppable team and they swiftly track down Mr. Big. Turns out he's Dr. Kananga, a dictator of San Monique. They bring him and his drug empire down. Having saved each other's lives during the mission, Bond, Lee and Coffee stay in touch and help each other out should the need arise. Years later, Lee is saddened to hear of the death of Bond. However, he is not surprised when he is approached by another agent, also called Bond, asking for his assistance. Mm, I like it. Thank you. I like that team too. It could be like coffee with two sugars, you know, like yeah, yeah. coffee with James Bond and Bruce Lee. I could feel like that, that could be a fun – that's a fun team to watch. I'd, I'd watch that movie in a heartbeat. Yeah, I would, but it's uh, – because it was uh, – I think uh, Living Let Die was a similar – might have been the same year, right. 1973. And I think coffee was around there as well, so I just thought it all sort of tied in nicely. Absolutely. That would be cool because we be like the British secret agent, the martial arts guy, and then like the black exploitation action yeah. hero. Like the three great genres mashed up together, yeah. you know. Yeah. Very cool. I like Thank it. Thank you very much. All right, so uh, Phil, why don't you see if you can um, enter the trivia and share with us some? I see what you did. Some there. fun tidbits. Thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the it was all filmed without sound. Uh, dialogue and effects were added later. Really? Yeah, I did not know yeah. that. No, me neither. Uh, Lee, uh, Bruce Lee defeats 51 opponents in the K fight. That's it. Just 51. Yeah, yeah that's all. Yeah, slacker. Uh, it was sadly it was Lee's final film. Right. Uh, real prostitutes were hired to play prostitutes in the film because they couldn't find actresses who'd do it. And over 8,000 mirrors were used in the Hall of Mirror scene. Wow. Which is a lot of mirrors. Seriously. And the film had a budget of $850,000, and it globally it took over $90 million. Whew. There's a reason it's one of the iconic films of the 70s. Yes. Wow. It made an awful lot of money. Yeah, yeah, it did. And went on to inspire an awful lot of other films, TV shows, spoofs. Yep. Video games and what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great stuff. It's a classic film. Um, you know, obviously there are parts of it that are a little bit dated, but if you just want to watch a really great martial arts film and see an iconic movie star in his prime, uh, you know, I think Enter the Dragon is, is definitely a, a great film to track down. Yep. I totally agree. All right, well, let's move along to our next film. And, uh, you know, Phil, I don't know if you know this about me, but uh, sometimes when I'm watching, uh, you know, a, a good movie like this, I, I like to raise a glass and make a toast to world peace. I, I do know that about you, but while you know you're sitting there drinking, I've been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted, and burned. It's been a hell of a day. I, I can imagine it has been. All right. Well, uh, as we know, we are doing Groundhog Day, the uh, the Bill Murray classic, and um, this should be interesting. I think mm. should be interesting. Yeah, I, there were a few ways I was thinking of going with uh, my after the ending. Yeah, but uh, I think I like what I went with. I'm not sure. I think it's quite sad. Okay. All right. Well, well, mine isn't sad at all. As usual, so we we've yeah. got polar well, opposites, then, yeah. so that's good. Yeah. I, I'm I'm fairly pleased with what I've come up with, if I may say so myself. So I, I was toying with the idea of a time loop serial killer, but then I thought no. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you don't want you don't want to go to that well too many times. You got to leave a few surprises for people, right? Yeah. 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 Although I did when I was looking at trivia, I did find out that uh, they were thinking about maybe showing some scenes where Phil Connor is sort of you know because he he was in the time loop for an awfully long time, right? And he could do whatever he wanted. No, it was going to be reset. They were going to look at some of the darker things he could have done, but they thought, and I'm glad they did, they thought best not to ha- to go there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably a smart decision. I think the suicides were dark enough. Okay, then, so we've had a little chat about it. Do you want to give us a quick rundown on the film itself? Phil Connors, played by Bill Murray, is an arrogant, brash Pittsburgh TV weatherman who ends up in Punxsutawney, PA, for the annual Groundhog Day celebration where the groundhog, Punxsutawney Phil, will either see his shadow or 
or not, and predict the future of the winter. I guess I should say for our international listeners that PA stands for Pennsylvania. So the film takes place in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. In town, he runs into an old schoolmate, Ned Ryerson, and then meets up Phil? with... Phil? <laughs> Phil? Phil? And he meets up with his producer, Rita, played by Andy McDowell, and cameraman, Larry, played by Chris Elliott. He half-heartedly records his segment and is forced to stay in town because of a blizzard that he told viewers would miss them entirely. The next day, he wakes up in his Punxsutawney bed and breakfast, and it's the exact same day. Every detail is exactly the same. And the next day... (laughs) The next day, it happens again. Phil? Phil is stuck in some kind of weird time loop where he's repeating the same day over and over again. As the day keeps repeating, Phil gets drunk, has one night stands, goes on reckless adventures, and eventually tries to kill himself, but nothing works. He also falls for Rita, but she is not exactly a fan of his. So he starts using his days to learn how to win her over, eventually doing so and confiding in her the truth. After finally having a happy day together with Rita, they fall asleep together, but Phil wakes up the next day and is back in the same time loop. He finally starts using his days to learn how to be a better person and help other people. Rita notices the change in him and falls for him, and he tells her he loves her. The next day, he wakes up, and it's February 3rd. It's a new day. The loop has been broken. As he and Rita walk through town hand in hand, Phil says, It's so beautiful. Let's live here. And that is Groundhog Day. Lovely. Nicely done. Thank you. All right. So, Phil, why don't you give us your day after, which I think is obviously very fitting in this movie because the whole movie is about getting to the day after. Yeah. Well, for mine, I want to take it that Phil was 43 when it started, when he was the time loop started, because that's how old I think... Uh, Bill Murray was when the film came out. Right. And I'm going to take it that def- he was in the time loop for about 30 to 40 years. Okay. Because I had a look. There was different There was different figures, but this seemed to be a general one. It was 30 to 40 years Makes you know, sense. to learn all those things, bits and pieces. Sure. Okay, so my day after, Phil and Rita spend most of the day in bed, mainly for the obvious reasons, but <laughs> Phil is a little scared. This is the first time in many years. He's not sure how many, but he thinks about it's a few decades. But it's the first time that he doesn't know what's going to happen. He still has a zen-like calm about him, though, after his time in the loop. They eventually get up and go for a walk. The townsfolk greet Phil warmly wherever they go, and after a lovely evening meal, they return to the bed. That's my day after. All right, very nice. And what have you got for yours? Okay, so Phil and Rita relocate to Punxsutawney. Phil has a new lease on life, and he's now happy and cheerful every day. He takes over as the town's weatherman, but he also sets up a sort of agency to help people. He doesn't really define it. He just tells people that if they need help, they should come see him. And they do. Everything from helping get cats out of trees to solving financial issues to coping with unexpected loss, Phil helps nearly everyone in town. One day, when Phil is walking home from his office, he notices something he's never seen before. There, on a corner street in a secluded part of town, is a tall blue structure. It has a light on top, and the words (laughs) Police Public Call Box are printed on the side. As Phil inspects the booth, the door opens, and an older man stumbles out and falls to the ground at Phil's feet, unconscious. And that's my day after. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it popped into my head. And, and once once it was there, I, you know, it, I was yeah, done. Yeah. I, I had to go with that. So. Oh, I like it. I like it. Thank you. Oh, I can't wait to see where that one goes. <laughs> Thanks. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, how about your immediate aftermath? Okay. Well, true to his word, Phil stays in Punxsutawney. He quits being a weatherman and becomes a teacher at the local school. His time in the loop means he can teach many different subjects. And he also sells his art and becomes a renowned sculptor. In artistic circles. <laughs> I like that. Rita carries on with the job and commutes to Punxsutawney, and they spend a long, happy life together. Phil meets up with Ned Ryerson from time to time whenever he's in town. At first, it is an, an exercise in patience, but he soon welcomes the time they spend together. Because when he's not talking about insurance, Ned can be quite a funny guy. However, as the months go by, 
Phil notices that he's getting more headaches and starts and is forgetting the occasional thing. And that's the end of my immediate aftermath. Gotta say, Phil, I was really enjoying that. I, I don't care for the turn that you took at the end, though. Yes. Because I know you too well. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. That's all right. Okay, let's see what's going on with uh, Phil and the man in the blue box. All right. So Who could that be? I wonder who it could be. Mm. So Phil takes the man back to his house to nurse him back to health. Rita is astonished to see that Phil has arrived with an unconscious man in tow, but she snaps into action, getting blankets, hot compresses, and medicine. She asks Phil why he didn't just take the man to the hospital, and Phil says he doesn't know. It was just a feeling he had. Eventually, the man wakes up and introduces himself as the doctor. He explains to Phil that the recent time loop he was stuck in was a case of the Gallifreyan flu, an affliction that only affects time lords. It turns out that Phil was adopted as a baby, and while he thought he was human, he's actually a time lord. He was adopted because he was stranded on Earth as a baby when a hiccup in his powers transported him there. The doctor thought that all time lords were dead until Phil's recent time loop caught his attention. <laughs> then he shocks Phil and Rita by telling them that he's dying and that Phil will need to take up the mantle of the doctor. <laughs> Oh, could you imagine Phil Murray as the Doctor? That'd be amazing. <laughs> it would That'd be so good. It would certainly be a very different take on Doctor Who, but I, I do think yeah. he could pull it off for sure. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Thank you. Oh, I like it. Thanks. All right, well, uh, <laughs> why don't you bring us down from the jubilation yeah. of the uh, the Doctor with, your, with what I'm sure is going to be a, a horribly depressing ending. Okay, my long term. The headaches and forgetting things turn out to be the early symptoms of dementia. Although his body didn't age in the time loop, his mind did, and doctors determine and are astounded that the dementia he has is normally found in patients in their 80s or 90s. Phil is heartbroken. To have lived and learned so much for it to end this way seems unfair. Rita's devastated, but with the calm centre that he found during the loop, Phil keeps her grounded. Their love does not diminish in any way. Phil has good days and bad. He isn't robbed of all his memories and never forgets Rita. During the bad days, he talks about doing the same things over and over and says he is a god. He passes away on the 10th Groundhog Day since he arrived in Punxsutawney and the town erects a statue of him to one of the man and the wonderful things he did for the town. The end. Oh, that's, see, that's, that's you know, you, you said it was sad, but it's not, I mean, it's mm. sad, but it's touching. You know what I mean? Like, Thank you. I like Thank that. You. Get a little, I'm getting a little welled yeah. up here. Well, it just, it just seems if, you know, because he didn't age, but he kept, he kept all his memories, so there was a lot going on in his head. Yeah, it's a lot for a, just, one brain uh, to take in. Yeah. Yeah, very but nice. Yeah. There you go. Thank you very much. Oh, I like that. Very nice. So what have you got done for your long term? All right. Well, Phil and Rita don't know what to think. Rita thinks the man is just ill, but Phil somehow knows he's telling the truth. The doctor, who would normally regenerate, but due to events that have taken place in a, in a different Doctor Who episode that we're not discussing here, uh, he's not going to regenerate this time. I remember that episode. <laughs> right. Um, and he dies. Phil takes Rita to the TARDIS to convince her that the doctor was telling the truth. When she gets inside, she accepts the truth, even though it's a lot to take in. Phil asks Rita if she will become his companion and travel with him, taking his desire to help people to an interplanetary level. Rita agrees, and they close the TARDIS door and disappear into time and space. Oh, very nice. Thanks. And that's uh, that's the uh, Groundhog Doctor, I guess you could say. I like it. I could just see it, though, the first plant he land on, though. And open the door. They'll just hear, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> could you, that'd be, that would be it, Phil. So yeah. it would be Doctor Who with Bill Murray, but every planet they land on, yeah. Stephen Tumblowski would come up and be he's on every planet. Phil? Phil? Sometimes he'd be like part alien, like he'd have like the makeup, whatever. But every time he gets out the door, Phil? <laughs> could you imagine? Phil Connors? That would be awesome. Phil? Oh, I love it. Love it. Buy insurance. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so what kind of Groundhog trivia do you have for us, Phil? Harold Ramis originally wanted Tom Hanks, but thought he was too nice for mm. the role of Phil. Right. Uh, 
It was originally going to start with Phil trapped in the time loop and the audience were going to wonder how he knew all these things were going to be happening. Hmm. The boy, the actor who played the boy in the tree, he grew up to be a local TV news reporter. Oh, that's funny. It was Michael Shannon's movie debut. Oh, really? Yeah, he's one of the guys. He's the couple at the end who get the, the wrestling tickets. Wow. I don't yeah. think I realize he, he's been acting that long. Oh, yep. Well, uh, and the uh, early drafts had a reason for the time loop, and it was due to an ex-lover putting a spell on Phil. Yeah. They took that out. I'm glad they did. Yeah, that, that would have made it a little cheesy, I think. You know, I don't think it needed to be explained, really. And both Groundhog Day and Edge of Tomorrow, with the Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt film, yep. which was a time loop, have characters called Rita. Oh, interesting. Yes. I wonder if the, the Edge of Tomorrow Rita was a tribute to the Rita in, mm, could be, yeah. in Groundhog Day. But uh, that is Groundhog Day. All right, very nice. Okay, well, that's going to wrap up our endings for this week's episode. And I have a postscript from last week's episode. Uh, because oh, yes. due to the magic of my editing, I cut out part of my ending for iRobot. And it was the it part was of Gremlins. the ending. It was Gremlins. It was Gremlins. Yeah, yeah, it was Gremlins. I had nothing to do with it. It was definitely in there when I finished editing. I don't know what happened. <laughs> uh, but somehow there was a little, um, a little maybe after the credits scene, if you will, at the end of my iRobot that I left out. So I'm going to share it with people now in case they're curious and want to hear it. So as you may recall, at the end of my iRobot ending, uh, the robots left Earth because their batteries were poisoning the planet. And then years later, the human Humans left Earth because it became nearly uninhabitable, so they built arcs and they flew off into space. Well, in the post credit scene, what happens is a trash droid named Wall-E finds a small plant and then goes on to a journey into space to help save humanity. And that is my after the credit scene, if you will, that should have been in last week's episode, but somehow didn't make it in there. Those so darn gremlins getting everywhere. That's right. So if you want, you can go back and listen to that ending, and then you can fast forward to this part and just play it right after. Like, it was seamlessly in there, but um, if not, at least know that my ending, which ended a little abruptly last week, wasn't supposed to end quite that <laughs> abruptly. So Very good. Thank you. All right. So let's move on then to our Mighty Morphing mini feature. Phil, why don't you explain to people what we have in store for them today? Day. Okay, as we said, it's a movie mashups where we take two films, mash them together, and see what mess or genius idea falls out. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is really something we just did for fun because, uh, well, actually, it was inspired by last week. We made a joke about breaking back to the future. Uh, so we thought it'd be mm -hmm. fun to kind of come up with a few more of those. Okay, then. So what have you got? We've got about three each, haven't we? So do you want to go first? Yeah, why don't we? Okay. All right, my first one is Saving Private Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Tom Hanks and company brave the battlefronts of World War II to save a soldier whose brothers have been killed in combat. When they reach him, they find that he's a wisecracking, fun-loving guy who finds <laughs> the humor in every situation, even when most of the platoon is killed. Wow, I like it. <laughs> Thank God, you. Could you imagine Deadpool in one of those kind of films? <laughs> right. Imagine that. He's looking at the camera going, oh, they're all going to die now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be interesting, I think. So. Yeah. All right. Oh, what, what else have you, what have you got? What's yours? Okay, well, as it's, it's from one of our... Films we've already done, uh -huh. one of the after the endings. It's uh, Groundhog Day of the Dead. <laughs> Very nice. Where Bill Murray lives the same day over and over, but that day just happens to be when the dead rise again. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That'd be a terrible <laughs> day to live over and over again. Oh, I know. You, you think about it, you know, Groundhog I was thinking because one of my ideas was to have like him live another time loop or a different day, but yeah, you could have some totally terrible days. Yeah, yeah. He's lucky that it was a pretty nondescript day. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Okay, then what do you got for the next one? Well, on that note, I have It Happened One Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> okay. Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert journey across the country and fall in love while bickering ceaselessly. Then the zombie apocalypse breaks out and they have to fight to keep their quippy romance and themselves alive. So clearly we both, uh, we both had our, our minds uh -huh. on the uh, 
I think that was an easy kind of mashup to yeah, make. I, you know? I want I want to see Clark Gable fighting zombies. Yeah, man. right. It'd be pretty cool, oh, wouldn't it? Well, if anybody out there can, you know, is good at making mashup videos, yeah, do it. You know, because we've got Nights of the Living Dead in black and white as well. Right. Oh, that'd be amazing. Or even a drawing of Clark Gable. Yeah, yeah. Right? That'd be frankly, perfect. my dear, I don't give a <laughs> yeah, exactly. zombie's ass. Yeah, yeah. Okay then. Well, my uh, my next one is. UHX Man, this one has Weird Al Yankovic as a mutant who runs a mutant-themed TV channel from Xavier's mansion with hilarious consequences. Very nice, very nice. I only just saw UHF for the first time recently, actually, and I really liked it. Oh, yeah, me, me and my daughter love it. She's a big Weird Al fan. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's got so many good moments, yeah, so many funny bits. It's a very funny film. Yeah. Spatula City. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I like that. UHX Man, very nice. Yeah, thank you. Okay, what's your next one? All right, my next one is Nine to Five Easy Pieces. Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin's new boss is Jack Nicholson, who wears sunglasses all the time and ends up sleeping with all three of them. He's so laid back, the office starts working nine to three, and hilarity ensues. Very good. Thank, I like thank that. you. Thank you. <laughs> I had fun with that one. All right. What's next? Okay. My uh, my next one is uh, Jack Kirby's The Thing. Jack Kirby's The Thing. <laughs> I <Yeah>. like it. <laughs> Where the Fantastic Four's thing, Ben Grimm, is working on a research base on the dark side of the moon. However, he discovers the other staff are slowly being taken over and replaced by scrolls. He has to determine who is, who is human and who is a scroll. Oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant, Thank brilliant mashup you. there. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, and what have you got for your, your next one? All right, my last one is uh, actually based on a film we did not that long ago, in our, a couple, just a couple episodes ago, and it is Goodwill Hunting Party. <laughs> When Will and Chucky and their friends go out hunting and get lost in the woods, Will uses his intellect to start hunting his friends for food. The most dangerous <laughs> game is afoot, and only one man will survive. Wow. <laughs> oh, that, that could be good. Yeah, ended on a little slightly dark note. Yeah. Uh, all right, there you go. So those are some movie mashups. Eh, just kind of an exercise in silliness, but I had a lot of fun putting mine together. How about you, Phil? Oh, I did as well. It's uh, Yeah, it's good fun to imagine. And you, and you come up with the idea, and then you just start daydreaming about what would happen in there, so it'd be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah, good times. I think we'll revisit this one in the future. Oh, definitely, definitely. And if you, anybody out there has got some other good ones, your own movie mashup you want to share, then get in touch on all the social media and emails, and we'll give you those details a bit later on. Yeah, share those, and we'll uh, we'll read some of the good ones out on air. I think those will be could be could be a lot of fun to listen to. Oh so. yeah, yeah. All right, great. Okay, well then let's move on from our mighty morphing mini feature to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes. And this year, as we have discussed, we are doing 1977. So, Phil, why don't you take us back in time to 1977 and reveal what the world was like? Okay, well, the Wayback Machine tells us that uh, the British Prime Minister was James Callaghan, and over in the U.S., the President was uh, Jimmy Carter. Uh, it was the year that Apple Computer became incorporated. EMI dropped the Sex Pistols. Snow fell in Miami for the only time in its history. If anybody wants to say that's not true, get in touch, because I felt that one was a bit ropey. But <laughs> well, be. having grown up in Florida, there were those very rare occasions when there was snow, but it was usually up, up north a little bit more. I don't, I don't ah, remember, okay. but I can't say there wasn't ever any in Miami, because it does yeah, occasionally yeah. happen. So Okay, well, uh, the classic series Roots began on ABC. Uh, Morph was introduced on the UK art program Take Heart, and Morph was one of the first uh, characters created by Ardman Studios. Oh, that's cool. Uh, the first issue of 2000 AD was released. That's the comic with Judge Dredd and Nemesis the Warlock and lots of other cool characters. Trying not to snigger, but the rings of Uranus were <laughs> discovered. I told you not to snigger. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, I'm only sniggering because you told me not to. Uh, oh, that's right, because there's, no to, to, there's no reason why the rings of Uranus is a funny <laughs> phrase anyway. That's right. It's simply, we're just talking about space and planets here, folks. Yeah. 
Yeah, because come on, it's a planet, people. Right, seriously. What kind of what kind of immature podcast co-host would laugh just because you said the rings of Uranus? I mean, yeah. seriously, that's not professional at all. Oh, God. I mean, what are we, Wayne's World? Right, exactly. <laughs> We're grown-ups here, Phil. Yeah. We're not children. Yes. Uranus. Uranus. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, Red Room won the Grand National for the third time over here in the UK. The Clash's debut album, titled The Clash, was released... Optical fiber was first used to carry live telephone traffic. Elvis Presley holds his last concert in June and sadly passes away in August. Uh, Voyager 1 was launched, and this one, I quite like this, in Dover, Massachusetts, there were sightings of the Dover Demon. Oh, I've heard of that, right. One of those a little... Creep, a creepy creature with glowing yeah, eyes yeah. and things like that. Urban legends, yeah, like, if you will. Yeah, like Spring Hill Jack and all those right, kind of right. things. Right, right, the Jersey Devil and all those. Yes, yeah, very and cool. a, few, a few people were born... That we all know. Uh, Orlando Bloom, Shakira, Jessica Chastain, James Van Der Beek, Michael Fassbender, Cyril Michelle Geller, John Senna, Kanye West, Liv Tyler, Edward Furlong, Tom Hardy, and Zachary Quinto. And we lost, as well as Elvis, we lost Bing Crosby, Joan Crawford, Groucho Marx, Charlie Chaplin, Freddie Prinze, and Mark Boland. All right. Well, there you go. So that is 19. And, and once again, it amazes me. Like, you know, F Michael Fassbender's the same age as Sarah Michelle Geller and Kanye West. I know, it's right? Just, it, and Edward Furlong. It's just... And Shakira. You don't put them all together. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a weird one, for sure. Mm. Oh, and also my brother. Yeah. Oh, Hi, Christopher. Well, there you go. Yeah, he was born in 1977. Right. Well, hello, Christopher, and happy <laughs> birthday, sort of. Happy birth year, whatever it may be. Birth year, yeah. All right, Phil, so why don't you kick things off and give us your number 10? Okay, my number 10 is The Car... Starring James Brolin, Kathleen Lloyd, and Ronnie Cox. And it's about a big black car which goes driving around a small town in America, killing people, running them off the road. And it turns out it's like a demon or the devil or something like that. And it's it's cheesy, but it's cool. And it's just one of those little cult classics, which I do quite like. Like you said, it's cheesy, but it is fun. So didn't make my yeah. list, but good choice. Thank you very much. And what's your, what's your number 10? Well, my number 10 is The Hobbit. And it is the animated version of The Hobbit, actually. Um, ah, yeah. The Rankin-Bass production, I believe. And in fact, our, our, um, our guest star, Chad Michael Collins, who was on a few episodes back, he mentioned this is one of the sort of formative movies of his youth that he caught. And it really turned him onto fantasy and, and kind of turned him into uh, a bit of a geek and uh, it's you know it's it's one I, The Hobbit was a book I'd always been familiar with and I never got around to reading even though I checked it out from the library several times uh, so yeah. I never, but I never got around to reading it but I had watched the cartoon and I really loved it and then I didn't see it again for many years and then when the Lord of the Rings movies came out they re-released it on video and I watched it again and I think it holds up pretty well it tells the story quite well yeah. but I do think that the kind of rotoscoping animation they use for the, 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 the orcs is really cool looking um, and so I don't know it's just a film that I enjoy it's a different take it doesn't live up to Peter Jackson's version but it's it's a fun throwback and, and I like it so that's my number 10 very good okay and uh, with that chat we had with uh, Chad Michael Collins was in episode 21 right where we also gave after the endings to The Sixth Sense and Big very nice okay my number 9 then is Rabid which is a sci-fi horror film by David Cronenberg starring Marilyn Chambers who I think if memory serves she Texas was also Chainsaw a... Massacre yes yep. and I think she was I think she might have dabbled in a few naughty movies as well yeah, probably but anyway, it's, uh, she plays a woman who's injured in a motorcycle crash and she has a surgical operation. And as it's a Dave and Cronenberg film, after the operation, she develops an orifice under one of her armpits, which has a kind of stinger, which she feeds on people's blood. Oh, and yeah, yeah. And people become infected, the bite spreads the disease, and there's chaos in Canada. Huh. I'm, I do like that. I do like uh, David Cronenberg's films, but you know, I think he's got some issues. 
yeah. He he might want to consider therapy. I'm just saying it seems like he does have some issues he might need to work out. But. Although if you have got issues, making a film about those set issues hey, right. is a good form I of therapy. I guess that's a form of therapy. So, yeah, that's not a, a film I'm, I'm familiar with, but it, it sounds uh, interesting. It's a, Yeah, after the description, it's not really one you're thinking you want to check out, but it's uh, it's good. It's moody. It's got some good moments. Yeah, good. Cool. It's like basically like a zombie vampire kind of thing going on. Gotcha. All right, great. Yeah. All right, well, my number nine is about as opposite a film as you can get. I don't know that I could have planned this any better. It is Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. <laughs> Whoa, that would be a good match. Yeah. Herbie Goes Robert. And, um, and I, I picked it solely, as I mentioned a, a while back, um, when I picked The Love Bug as one of my top ten films. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Herbie movies. I grew up watching them. Uh, I even like the Lindsay Lohan remake uh, to an extent. Yeah, yeah. But I just, I just love the Herbie movies. They're so much fun, and I think they hold up really well. And um, and so even though Herbie Goes to Monte Cristo wasn't the best in the series, it's still a film that I have a real soft spot for, and so it made it onto my list. Very good. Uh, yeah, I do like the Herbie films, but the... Didn't make them on my list, but I just I remember watching them as a kid. That's fine. I, I think we can agree that my list tend to lean a little bit more to the um, – sort of innocent side of things and yours yeah. go a little darker. I always have the Disney yeah. films and the Herbie movies and you I have says you know movies about it? porn stars and vampire tentacles and yeah. stuff. So, you know. No oh, judgment. Crap. I'm just saying you clearly <laughs> your tastes clearly lean slightly different than mine in some cases. Yeah. Oh dear. Please don't judge me people. No, no, no. <laughs> My number eight is The Spy Who Loved Me. Excellent choice. James Bond film. Yeah, it's one of my one of my favourites. It's uh Roger Moore, Bond, Richard Keel as Jaws Barbara Back, beautiful Barbara Back, and it's all to do with uh, it's the bad guy Carl Stromberg. He's got the big underwater hideout, which all comes up. It looks like one of the uh, the tripods from War of the Worlds. Uh, it's it's good fun, cool gadgets, cool cars. Got the Lotus Esprit going in underwater, and it's yeah, it's Bond. We all know James Bond. We all know the film, and it's my number eight. Very good choice. Thank you. All right, well, my number eight is Annie Hall, the Woody Allen classic uh, that won the Oscar that year. Now, um, <laughs> some people may know I hold a bit of a grudge against Annie Hall because it won the Oscar over another film, which shall remain unnamed uh, because we it may or may not show up on one or both of our lists. But uh, I've always had kind of a grudge against Annie Hall for, for winning the Oscar over. Good, uh, good. Clearly. Feed your anger. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, and I had never seen it for a long time. I finally watched it a good number of years ago now, uh, but I did see it. It is a good film. I don't love Woody Allen movies for the most part. He's not my particular kind of thing, um, in general, but I do think Annie Hall is a good movie. It's definitely one of his, one of my favorites of his that I've seen. And so, um, so it makes it number eight. I put aside my, my, you know, displeasure with it for winning the Oscar. I know some people will probably put it higher on their lists, but again, not a huge Woody Allen fan. So it's number eight. Fair enough. Okay, my number seven is a film called Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. It's uh, directed and produced by William Friedkin and stars Roy Scheider, Bruno Kramer, Francisco Rabal, and Amadou. And it's an adaptation of Georges Arnaud's 1950 French novel, La Salleur de la Pieux. Uh, it was made in 1953 as well as The Wages of Fear. And it basically follows four tough guys from different backgrounds uh, who've been assigned to transport trucks full of nitroglycerin from a South American village. And it is tense, dramatic uh delves into life death things like this and, the, and any you know these trucks are going along these little roads along the side of cliffs and over rickety bridges and the nitroglycerin could blow if it just you know because it's so unstable uh, it's amazing film it's got a great soundtrack electronics soundtrack by tangerine dream and it's uh it's a very good film excellent choice 
Thank you. Okay, well, my number seven is once again the polar opposite of yours. It is The Rescuers. That would be the Disney classic. Uh, interesting film because it's kind of in between the age of the actual Disney classics like, you know, Bambi and 101 Dalmatians, The Jungle Book, all those, and the sort of Disney renaissance of, you know, things like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Little Mermaid and all that. And so The Rescuers is kind of an oddity in the Disney film canon. Um, but it's a yeah. movie that I, yeah. I saw as a kid and I loved. And uh, it's it's not the best Disney film. Obviously, it's only number seven on my list. But I, I do enjoy it. It's a film I've got a soft spot for. Um, I love the characters uh, well to be honest I've, I saw it once when I was a kid and I've, I don't think I've seen it since yeah I mean like I said it's so not the greatest Disney film it doesn't hold up against some of their other classics but it's fun okay well my number six as we've just been a Disney one let's go for a bit of Dario Argento <laughs> with uh, Suspiria probably one of his best films uh, it's got Jessica Harper she's uh, an American ballet student she goes to this fancy dance academy in Germany and it turns out it's not what it seems and all the girls end up getting killed in terrible, sickening ways. It's very sinister, spooky, but it, it looks gorgeous. It's got an amazing colour color scheme, just vivid colours, often blood, but it's uh, it's it's good. Dark, twisted, but very stylish and uh, a great film. And it's also, not sure whether it's going to work, but there's a remake heading our way due out next year with Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that because Tilda Swinton's in it and I do like her. That sounds intriguing. Mm, but uh, yeah, it's a Spiria, and that's my number six. Very good. Well, my number six is a film called Orca, <laughs> starring Richard Harris and Charlotte Rampling, and it is about a killer killer whale yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it's a film that was made in the aftermath of Jaws it's one of the creature you know the, the creature features sort of killer you know animals type of thing it's clearly very strongly based on Jaws because it is a, yeah. a killer yeah. whale but I have to say that a, I really like the movie. I've always been a sucker for any kind of you know killer sharks or alligators or any kind of any kind of killer creature movie. I'm I'm generally going to like. But I think yeah. of all the knockoffs and all the Jaws ripoffs and, and inspired bys, Orca is one of the ones that actually holds up really well. It's it's actually a good film. Like they they definitely you know wanted to cash in on the Jaws craze, but they took the time to. You know, write a decent script and film a good movie. It's not just like a, a low-budget cheapie. In fact, there is a scene where they capture an orca and they have it hanging from the boat and some crazy stuff goes down that was really, really intense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to spoil it if, if you haven't seen it. But it's actually, like I said, I think it's, it's definitely a, a, a good film. I've always loved those kinds of movies, much like I like disaster films. I like creature movies. Um, but I think Orca, again, is, is definitely a step above the rest of the movies that were inspired by Jaws. Yeah, that's uh, that's one I've, I have seen, but I've totally forgotten about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fun. I like it. Yeah, yeah, good call. Okay, well, my number was that. So my number five mm -hmm. is Saturday Night Fever. Okay, stars John Travolta. We all we all know the songs, yeah. you know, by the Bee Gees. We've seen John Travolta dancing away in the disco, um, and it was a film which I basically didn't want to watch for many a year, right? Because because of the disco and all that stuff. And then when I eventually sat down and watched it, and realized what a dark film it is, right? Because it's you got the uh, you've got sexual assault you got suicide you got it's uh, it's just these these kids in new york they're waiting for the weekend to go dancing because it's their only escape right yeah and it was, it's it's such it's so good it's well acted good soundtrack it's if if you've been put off never wanted to watch it because you just think it's a disco film it's not so uh go and watch it if you haven't seen it but that's my number five. Oh, and i also uh found out that it also stars john travolta's sister Anne and his mother helen his sister played uh, the pizza girl and his mum played the paint store customer. 
That is interesting. I did not know that. Mm. Well, Phil, you can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. No time to talk about Saturday Night Fever, which did not quite make my list, but an excellent <laughs> choice nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that deserves my laughter, but no, very well done. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, my number five pick is Smokey and the Bandit, which, of course, starred one Burt Reynolds and Jackie Gleason. And I'm not sure if it's the film that made Burt Reynolds a star because I don't really remember. I'm sure he was, maybe he was a star before that or maybe it's the movie that turned him into a star. But I think it's his most iconic role. And I watched it when I was probably too young to watch it, I, I, although I don't yeah, know, yeah. to be honest with you. but I get the feeling most kids watch it when they're too young to watch right? it. Right. Like, I think that's a movie a lot yeah. of us grew up with. And I don't know that, yeah. you know, and I Look, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't remember how inappropriate it is, but it's just – it's a great film. It's a great comedy. It's got the car chases, and it's got you know Jackie Gleason as the, the mad sheriff and you know um, Sally Field. Yeah, Sally Field. It's just a great, iconic 70s film. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch, and uh, like I said, I, I grew up watching it. I really enjoy it, and so there it is, my number five. Excellent. Okay, very good pick. Uh, my number four, you've already mentioned it, is Annie Hall. Very good. Woody Allen, Dan Keaton, meeting, falling in love having funny moments. Uh, I'm not a huge Woody Allen fa- uh, fan, but I do like, there's a lot of certain ones of his films which I do like, and Annie Hall is one of them. I think it's I think it's really good, very well written, funny moments in it, and uh, Diane Keaton is just sublime as always. Okay, then what's your number four, Mike? All right, well, my number four is Oh God, starring one George Burns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another classic, you know, from my youth. It was a childhood film, and, and George Burns plays God, and I think he's terrific casting. Uh, I know that uh, Morgan Freeman likes to get the uh, the God role nowadays, but George Burns was pretty awesome back in the day. Yeah, he was He was good as God. Yeah, yeah, they're just fun movies, yeah. the, the Oh God movies. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's just, you know, I think they've sort of kind of fallen out of the public consciousness. I don't think they've really stuck around as much. Um you know, they're not films that people remember as much these days, but they were big hits back in the day. Yeah. And uh, and I always enjoyed them, especially the first one. So that's my number four. Very good. Uh, my number three, you've also mentioned this one, Smokey and the Bandits. Very good. But Reynolds, Sally Field, Jackie Gleason, Jerry Reed, and yeah, lots of fun. Coolest car, coolest mustache, uh, Bert Reynolds laugh and... It just makes you want to be in a bar fight with Bert Reynolds. <laughs> right. It always looks like so much fun. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's my number three. All right, very good choice. I, and to be honest, I went back and forth on, on my positioning for Smoking the Bandit and Oh God. I had them at four and five, but they could yeah, easily yeah. have been reversed because you know, it's been a while since I've seen e- either of them. I, I like them both very much, and I just sort of, I think, kind of arbitrarily picked and went, eh, yeah. whatever. Okay, then. So one, two. We're up to now. Number What's three. your number three? All right, well, my number three has already appeared on your list, and it will probably be a surprise to absolutely nobody who's ever listened to the show before. It is The Spy Who Loved Me. Yes. Of course, it's James Bond. I love James Bond. I actually also have a very strong affinity for Roger Moore. Uh, you know, I, I've always had a theory that your favorite James Bond is the one you grow up watching. And while I don't know that I would say that Roger Moore is my favorite James Bond, I definitely have much more affection for him as James Bond than I think a lot of people do because he is the Bond I grew up watching. Yeah, yeah. He was, same with me. He was the first one I watched. Yeah, and so I, I love his movies. You know, they're not the, the best ones necessarily, but some of them are great. And I think Spy Who Loved me is one of his best uh it's you know it's got the great theme song like you said it's got all the cool stuff it's just it's just classic james bond um and it's it's one of my favorites so that is my number three now i will say yeah i'm i know we have picked the same number one and i only say i know that because of logic not because we've compared our list yes i'm gonna bet a billion dollars that we have the same number two as well okay so don't disappoint me and put me into debt for the rest of my life phil what's your number two Okay, yes, my number two, which uh, I thought might be yours as well, is a little film by Steven Spielberg called Close Encounters of the Third Kind with Richard Dreyfuss, Francois Truffaut, Linda Dillon, Terry Gar, Bob Balaban, and, well, which, 
it's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's one of the <laughs> right. it's one of the best alien encounter movies where the aliens aren't trying to kill you. That's out there. It shows you the things you can do the, with a mashed potato. Yes, and yes, indeed. It's, it's got the and with the uh, accompanying hand signals, which I always liked. And it's got the great moments where in the desert, you suddenly got, you know, the opening bits where you see the, the planes and the ships and the deserts and the places they shouldn't be. Yep. It's had a few different cuts over the years, but they're all still damn good. Yeah. It's a great, great film. And the effects at the end. Yeah. Just stunning. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to know, Phil, that I don't owe anybody a billion dollars because my number two is also Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And, you know, I think um, I use this word a lot on this show, obviously, but this is an iconic science fiction film. You know, it is it is the definitive film about alien contact on Earth, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and like you I mean, everything you said about it, of course, is true. And, you know, I will say there has been a number of different cuts. And I know that Steven Spielberg disavows the director's cut now that has them going inside the ship and stuff. But I think all of the cuts are equally good. I don't yeah. I don't yeah. mind the one that shows the extra stuff, you know. But it's a, it's a great film and it's done in a way that they don't make films as much anymore, much like with Jaws, where it builds and builds and builds to this awesome reveal. You know, it's yeah. not a fast-paced action film. It's not Independence Day. It's this mystery of these, you know, these UFOs, and and then it kind of culminates in this amazing ending, and uh, it, it is just a, a brilliant movie uh, that I love, and I do still occasionally when I eat mashed potatoes, uh, sculpt yeah. them into a little devil's tower. So yeah, me too. Me yeah, too. you you can't go wrong. Yeah. So all right. Well, speaking of iconic science fiction films, um, is there any chance that you and I might have the same film for number one? I mean, I know it's a long shot, but well, if you've got Simbad the Eye of the Tiger, then I think so. <laughs> That's I did. How did you know? Yeah, we did it. <laughs> no, well, that's the Sinbad film almost made my top ten, but not quite. Right, right. Okay, yes, my number one film, uh, the summer of 1977. It was a film which took us back a long, long time ago to a galaxy far, far away. It is, of course, Star Wars. And back then it was just called Star Wars. There was no A New Hope right. on it. It was just Star Wars. Right. And we, we, George Lucas, yeah, he struck gold with this one. Yeah, he did all right for himself, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I was going to go and explain who's in it and what it's about, but we all know. <laughs> I think I know. It's, it is yeah. one of those things, and I'll, I'll just say it now. Of course, my number one is Star yes. Wars. Uh, yes. and, you know, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about it, but I will say, going back to what I was saying about Annie Hall, you can, I can give Annie Hall all the respect in the world, but – yeah. And, and I know I'm a Star Wars fanboy. I get that. However, my problem with that, as far as the Academy goes, is that Star Wars created a, a universe, and it did things that no film at that point had ever done before. And if that's mm. not deserving of an award that's supposed to celebrate achievement in film, then I don't know what is. You know, I, I know you can say that you know that Star Wars is for kids, or it's you know it's just a big science fiction movie, but it revolutionized the entire cinema industry i mean it really changed the world yeah you know and i so to me the fact that it didn't win the oscar for best picture is just is ludicrous so that's that's why i harped on annie hall earlier no offense to annie hall but uh yeah i mean i think i think you and i both have been lifelong star wars fans and i'm sure many people listening to this podcast are probably lifelong star wars fans so yes you know yeah. what other choice could there have been one little thing though about star wars which people might not know it also popularized the notion of omitting any sort of opening credit sequence. Oh. So I was one of the first for that as well. I didn't realize that. But you're right. I mean, yes. I, if you think back, at the, you know, especially to the classic films, you know, yeah. there's always two minutes of credits in the beginning where they listed yeah. all the credits before the movie even started. 
Yeah. But uh, Lucas was told by the Screen Actors Guild that he had to have an opening credit sequence. So that's the reason why he distributed the film independently without yeah. the opening credits. Interesting. Why well, it was a, certainly a wise decision. I mean, everything he oh, did yeah, yeah. in regards to making that movie and, and you know marketing it was was a stroke of brilliance for sure. Yeah. So that's that. No surprise there. But here's what's happened. Here's with the top ten films of 1977, with the uh, you know which made the most money. Number ten, Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. Which is telling, isn't it? You yeah. know, on the Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. Number nine, A Spy Who Loved Me. Very good. Number eight, The Deep, which was uh, Jacqueline Beeson. Which almost made my list, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I hadn't seen it for a long time. Yeah, I mean, uh, number number seven, A Bridge Too Far, which almost made my list as well. Right. But I kept on an arm. But maybe maybe it should have been higher. But it's still a good film. Mm-hmm. Number six was Oh God. Oh, there you go. I knew it was a big yeah. hit. Yeah. Number five was Saturday Night Fever. Right. Number four, The Goodbye Girl. Number three, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Number two, Smoking the Bandit. Right. And number one, Star Wars. There you go. So a lot of our films were, were top ten films from the year. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was a great year for movies, for sure. I mean, this is definitely one of the 70s. You know, as I've mentioned on the show before, I'm not a huge fan of 70s cinema. Uh, but this is one of the years where I actually enjoyed quite a quite a few films. Yeah. But yeah. obviously, Star Wars, you know, it just doesn't get any better than that. So. Yeah, it's going to win out, isn't it? I, I think so. I think it's a safe <laughs> bet, at least on this show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but, but if there's anybody out there, though, who's uh, looking at the films in 1977 who didn't have Star Wars or Annie Hall as their number one pick, please get in touch and let us know because it'd be quite interesting to see what you think is the best film. of Well, not what's your favorite film, not the best, right. favorite film of 1977. Yeah, we'd definitely love to hear what some of your picks are. Hey, uh, hey, Phil, um, remind me, you run a movie website, correct? That I do, yes, liveforfilms.com. And, and if you were to, say, want to advertise that website, what do you think might be a good way you could do that? Well, what I do, I get in touch with one of the hip-happening podcasts that all the, the kids of today, all the hip daddios and, you know, people are listening to, get in touch with them and see if I could possibly, you know, get them to promote the show with maybe a jingle or a little funny ditty. And I would, of course, be willing to pay them for their time and effort. Now, I, I think that is a stellar idea, Phil, I have to say. Oh, thank you. It just, it just came to me now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you have a website or another podcast or maybe you've written a book, you know, about movies or Star Wars or something like that, and, and you want to promote it to thousands of listeners around the world, you know what you could do? You could send us an email and you could be part of our blatant product placement, which is where we will read out your messages for the world to hear. And it's a simple thing. You email us, you send us a little bit of money, $50 for a personal message which could be anything from I love you, mom, to, you know, I love Star Wars. Hey, mom, on a podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. Anything you want. And $100 for your promotional message could be for your company, could be for a product you've created, it could be for your podcast. Could be for cool art. Yeah, cool art. If you've got Any- some stuff, you got you got an art exhibition coming up you want people to do, you got a short film you, you want the festivals to pay attention to, do it because we have got thousands of listeners and it is quite nice to be able to say that. That's right. And, you know, here, here's the best thing. We'll promote your product or your message and you help support the show because believe it or not it does cost some money to produce a a podcast so and we want to keep the show ad free as long as we can so this is kind of a way for you to support the show keep any annoying commercials out and hopefully we'll have some fun stuff for people to listen to in the future so if you'd like to take advantage of our blatant product placement just send us an email at after the ending at verizon.net what was that email again mike it is after the ending at verizon.net or call us toll free at 1-800 <laughs> i don't really have a toll free number but if you have a toll free number and you want people to call it let us know we'll read it out on the air for you let's just check out the total see how much we've made so far this evening <laughs> okay so on that note then let's discuss phil what people can hear in our next episode besides some blatant product placement 
and it will be blatant because that's how we roll. We're willing to sell out. That's right. That's right. We will sell out for your money, but we're going to try and sell out for good causes and to keep you from hearing commercials that you don't want to hear, you know, because I think anybody who listens to podcasts knows that if they have to hear one more Blue Apron commercial, they might jump off a bridge. <laughs> so we're trying to prevent that. We're trying to keep this podcast 100% Blue Apron free. For now, anyway, unless they want to Although, give us a sponsorship, yeah, in which case they want us to. Yeah. <laughs> in which case, we we love to have Blue Apron yeah. on board. We are willing to go a total one eighty and whatever we say. That's right. We have very strong principles. Yeah, and we're willing to change those principles <laughs> to drop our hat. That's right. Exactly. Okay, next week we'll be going. Well, it's a bit of a Matthew Broderick double bill. There's no reason for that. It's just the way it turned out. Yeah, it just so happened we picked two movies that we liked, and they both happened to star Matthew Broderick. So we decided, yeah. eh, we'll make a Broderickific night out of it. So it's going to be a bit of... Very nice. With Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And then Ladyhawk with its dreadful, dreadful synth soundtrack. But it's pretty cool because it's Rutger Hauer turned into a wolf, and Michelle Pfeiffer turned into a hawk, and Matthew Broderick's called Mouse. Yeah, a lot of animal in- imagery. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, a bit of fantasy stuff. If you haven't seen Lady Hawk, it's very good. The soundtrack could put you off, but bear with it. It's a good film. It's, it's, and, I love it. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, and also, that we'll be doing our top 10 films of 1953. Indeed, we will. And there'll be a Mighty Morphing mini feature, which, as of yet, has not been determined. Right. But we will figure it out at some point yeah. between now and the next episode. Yes. All right. Well, uh, Phil, how can people get in touch with us if they would like to do that? You can get in touch with us on Twitter at after underscore the ending with facebook.com backslash after the ending podcast. And we are also on the various podcasting platforms, such as the one you're listening to now, but we're also on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. And we could well be on other places because, you know, we get everywhere. It's true. Yeah, just just search for After the Ending. You'll find us all yes. over social media and all over the podcast apps. So we're out yes. there for your listening pleasure. Yes. All right, well, on that note, then, I think we will wrap things up. As always, we thank you very much for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the Ending. So, yes, yeah, yes. I think that'll be a total <laughs> surprise. Whoa, what was that? I was okay. It was uh, my coaster that was stuck to my glass. So I just, you know, when you lift your glass up and it yep, falls. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I thought maybe you were tossing some ninja stars over there to get in the mood for End of the Dragon. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? Yeah, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just had a, you know, a bit of a fight outside with a few people. <laughs> right. All right. Well, in my day after, what happens is after Lee successfully takes down blah, blah, blah. But I didn't take long at all, did it? <laughs> all right. So then let's, uh, let's move on to... Uh, a comedy of let me let me do that again because I don't know what I'm saying. I mean, I know what I'm saying. It's just not very good what I'm saying. <laughs> I guess I should say for our international listeners that PA is Philadelphia. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia, yeah. Pennsylvania is what I meant to say. <laughs> oh, okay, but it's not. Why do we have so many problems with geography on this show, Phil? Well, I thought I'm a personal assistant. So. <laughs> right. Um, let me do that again. I guess I should say for our international listeners, PA is Pennsylvania. Obviously, it takes place in. Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. I guess that's not obvious because if it was obvious, I wouldn't have had to say it. So let me <laughs> do that one more it's, time. It's been, it's been most informative. Yes, it's like our own Groundhog Day. I'm just going to keep yeah. doing the sentence it, over and over again. again. I guess I should say for our international listeners that PA stands for <laughs> Pennsylvania. So the film takes place in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Okay, moving That was on. Groundhog Day, wasn't it? <laughs> And uh, then he meets up with his producer, Rita, played by Andy McDowell. And I didn't do it again. Oh, my God. Oh, Groundhog Day. Yeah, go on. Do it it this time.
we are doing 1977. I was about to say we are doing Star Wars, but <laughs> because yeah. that's so, you know. Well, it's good. We're doing Star Wars and nine other films each. Yeah. Let's yeah. just, you know, let's just call yeah. a spade a spade. We're doing Star Wars. <laughs> so, Phil, how about we take things right back to the top? I don't know what I'm saying. I'll just stop. Why do I keep doing that? I just keep, I keep doing that. It's like my own personal Groundhog Day. Phil? 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 <laughs> All right. Well, my number eight is Annie Hall, which, of course, is the classic uh, Woody, ha- Woody, Woody Hallen. I don't know who Woody Hallen is. Woody Hallen. I think he's cousins to Woody Allen. <laughs> All right. Okay. So my number eight is the Annie. Yeah. Third time. Third time. Every time. I got to get to the third, third one. Third time's a charm. Right. Phil. <laughs> Let's see if this helps. Oh, no. That didn't help. Got to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right well on that note then i think we will wrap this up i almost made it almost made it almost 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 <sighs> some things will never change <laughs> phil hey phil 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 connors phil connors i thought that was you Hi, how you doing thanks for watching hey hey now don't you tell me you don't remember me because i sure as heck fire remember you not a chance. <laughs> Ned! Ryerson! Needle nose Ned, Ned the head. Come on, buddy. Case Western High. Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Ned Ryerson got the shingles real bad senior year, almost didn't graduate. Bing again! Ned Ryerson, I dated your sister Mary Pat a couple times till you told me not to anymore. Well? Ned Ryerson? <laughs>